Hey, Wildcats, and welcome to another episode of the Words to Wildcat podcast. This is episode two, season episode two of season four. My name is Tommy Fernandez. My pronouns are he, him, his, or my name. And joining me as always is Arely Ruiz. What's up, Wildcats? My name is Arely Ruiz. My pronouns are she, her, ellas, and I'm an elementary education major here at Central Washington University. We are very excited for today's episode. It will be featuring our CWU women's rugby coach, Trevor Richards, and the theme of this episode is Foundations of Leadership. And with that being said, Trevor, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Would you like to uh, give the second to introduce yourself with the Wildcats know a little more about yourself? Certainly. Yeah, I'll uh, try and keep it uh, short and sharp. Uh, Trevor Richards, uh, originally born in South Africa. I don't sound like it, obviously. I moved to America when I was about 10. Moved to Nebraska of all places. Uh, stayed there through college, uh, played rugby since I was a little kid, was uh, in the player pool for the U.S. national team, represented them as a collegiate All-American before getting hurt, went straight into coaching. Uh, when I haven't been coaching, I've even worked in crazy jobs to pay for uh, travel or I've been traveling. Um, so those have really been my three focuses in the last uh, decade. And I've been here at Central for now. This is my fifth year. Came as a grad student for the men's team. I took over the women's head coach. And uh, here we are today. Yeah, and uh, congratulations on that. I think I saw online you started in May of 2018. Correct. Yeah, so came here in the fall of 2016, straight from San Diego. Uh, a year into that, the women's head coach uh, left for another job. They asked me to step in as the interim. So my second year of grad school is actually the interim head coach. After that really, really crazy chaotic year, I took over as the, uh, the women's head coach and hired full-time in that May of 2018. Yeah. So uh, Trevor, as a coach and as a leader of your team, how would you describe your coaching philosophy? Yeah, for sure, great question. So it's, it's evolved slightly. At the end of the day, it's still, I think at the core, it's still the same. I've just become a little bit more specific, I would say. So the general overarching philosophy is that I'm using rugby as a vehicle to help people be better people. So that, and that's all areas. I look, I look at it a very holistic way. You know, if I'm only teaching somebody to uh, be a great rugby player. In my book, I've failed at my job. And especially if, you know, they don't graduate college, then I've completely failed at my job. Even if we've got a nice championship ring and trophy and all that kind of stuff, it doesn't matter. So my philosophy has evolved slightly in the last few years, just to become a little bit more specific about what I'm ultimately trying to do. Uh, and it centers around two big things. The first one is fostering respect. So not only respect for other people, uh, but yourself as well. A lot of people are very nice and generous to other people, but don't necessarily respect themselves. So that's a huge component of it. The other one we're trying to foster is a growth mindset. And I think if you can, you can nail on use those two components, you can take on most challenges in life. Uh, and that growth mindset is a whole, whole nother discussion we can get into, um, but it's a really, really important component, um, especially in our environment. And so what we're trying to do through that is embrace challenges through, um, you know, grit, poise, and, um, uh, courage. I'm sorry, I was blanking there for a second. So those two, those three things I'm really trying to focus on. And at the end of the day, I have to actually model those behaviors. If I'm not modeling those behaviors, um, and I can do that in various ways and give examples, but um, if I'm not modeling those behaviors, but I'm expecting them to do that, then I'm not a very good coach and I'm a bit of a hypocrite. So um, that's you know, a really, really important process for my philosophy. Um, so I personally think that is a great coaching philosophy. And I really appreciate that you share that it has evolved for those of you who may or may not know. I have actually worked with Trevor Richards in the past in terms of the Nelson Mandela tribute, which was phenomenal. I really appreciated his help. And everything that he's describing really shines through, whether it be through himself or his rugby players. 
So I, for one, have interacted a lot with the rugby players, specifically the women rugby players, and all of them have exactly what Trevor is saying, like the respect, the poise, the grit, everything that they're talking about. And I really find it fascinating just because I really feel like your leadership does shine through through your coaching and it goes all the way down the line to how your rugby players interact with a lot of like just like us college students. So I was wondering how has your coaching actually shaped like your leadership or helped inform your leadership because I know coaching is one thing but in terms of your leadership style it can vary just depending on the situation. Yeah, you're exactly right in that. Um, you know, I don't think, I think people who get locked too much into a, a leadership style um, kind of limit themselves and aren't necessarily going to do justice to whoever they're leading. So, you know, we all have our general personality traits and tendencies and, and things, and it's important to identify those, uh, especially early on and trying to figure out what my strengths are, what my weaknesses are, and, and then trying to balance that and complement yourself with, with people who, you know, have skill sets that I don't necessarily have. So, when it comes down to leadership style, generally speaking, I try to be as player-centered player centered as, as possible. So I try to mold myself around the player rather than, no, you got to just deal with me kind of thing. And you really got to fit around and, you know, dance around me. And it's just not, that's not going to necessarily work. So there are times that, yes, I got to be a little bit autocratic, you know, where I've got to like stomp my feet and, and like, you know, put the hammer down on things. But for the most part, I believe in a much more collaborative approach um, and understanding that, you know, I've got, 30 roughly 30 players on my roster they're from all different backs backgrounds walks of life uh, cultures etc and so if i just have this this you know one model fits all kind of approach i'm guaranteed to fail for sure and so even just how do i address problems within the team sometimes i need to be like you know like i said just a loud autocrat where i'm just like this is it and if you're not doing it then you got to go other times i gotta pull somebody aside have a nice quiet conversation with them lay out expectations Honestly, even half one thing I had to learn early on, instead of just going at somebody and like, hey, you're not doing this way. Hey, how are you today? What's going on? And just asking that question just first, like all of a sudden, like, you know, you open up Pandora's box, you're like, oh, well, I'm really glad I did not go too hard in the paint there. I'm really glad I just kind of used some emotional intelligence there and kind of like found a different, a different way to address that issue. But uh, I'm not sure if that totally answered your question. Um, but, you know, I do believe that it's important to be dynamic in your leadership style. Otherwise, like I said, you're destined to fail. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I definitely think that you highlight something very specific that a lot of people don't actually pay too much attention to in leadership, which is the emotional intelligence aspect. And I personally had to go through those, those leaps and bounds to figure that out in terms of my own emotional intelligence. So I'm really glad that you, you were able to touch on that, because that's really important. For sure. And I'm still getting better. Let's not let's not pretend like I've got it all figured out. Like I'm constantly being challenged. I promise you that. Yeah, and speaking of challenges, I think one of the craziest challenges for everyone, you know, has been impacted by COVID-19, but not so, uh, so much for, like, um, the effect that it has on college athletes. And would you elaborate a little bit on some of the new things you had to go through, especially this year for rugby? Yeah, totally, totally. So, yeah, COVID's presented a lot of challenges for everybody. I mean, that's understatement of the year, right? But, um, yeah, especially with rugby being a – it's a contact sport slash borderline collision sport. So it's not just, you know, in tackles and stuff, you got to think about scrums. You got to think about line outs. You got to think about all these different techniques and stuff where like everybody's in each other's face. And so it's obviously doesn't fit too well with COVID. So, you know, after getting shut down last year and um, for those players that haven't been, haven't had a significant injury before, this is the first time they've been like told like you can't play rugby. 
And so I think for a lot of people, just mentally, just trying to deal with that. And so last spring, when we first got shut down, you know, we were on Zoom like all day, every day, like, and we're doing a, a mental health, not with not everybody all the time. We basically, the coaches were like, we try to limit screen time. I think we have too much Zoom calls um, as a whole, but I think they're very, very important. I think we actually get a lot out of them. So we were doing a lot of wellness checks with the players early on, just making sure they're doing okay. What, what, what do you do for yourself today? What did you, what kind of positive habits are we, are we fostering during this time that we have? Um, because there's a silver lining to it. Um, you know, we, we have to acknowledge that there is some good stuff to take from this if you allow it to, but if you just focus on the negative, focus on negative things, then it's going to be a really bad time for you. So as we transition into the school year, uh, obviously there's, there's protocols and, and uh, limitations that are placed on by the state, then obviously the university. Um, and then on, on top of that, we have the athletic department. And then within the team, we also, again, have our own protocols and things that are obviously in line with the higher ups. Uh, but sometimes even stricter than uh, a lot of other other places. So what that looked like coming in first uh, first quarter, we weren't allowed to do any contact at all. So again, like we're coll basically a collision sport. And so we had to be extremely creative in how we we coach that. So not only do we not have in-person meetings, we had to still have our team meetings by Zoom and try to be creative. A lot more videos were made, a lot more instruction given that way. So we had to be creative and adapt as coaches. Um, but then onto the fields, you know, for example, we couldn't do any tackle technique. Tackle technique is huge in rugby. You do that multiple times a week because you, there's no padding. So you got to be really technical in what you're doing. And so, you know, we're out there like working with uh, Swiss balls. We have our tackle bags, obviously, but that's kind of limit, limiting in some ways. We ended up using pool noodles at one point to simulate just pressure on the attack. Um, so coming and flying with pool noodles, all sorts of crazy things. Um, and then finally, when we transitioned to uh, our 10-week testing segment, um, that was in, I believe, late January we started, early February, I believe. And so every single Wednesday at 11 a.m., we get tested for COVID. And if anybody tests positive, even one person, because we're in this new segment, then we get shut down for two weeks. Thankfully, we've avoided that, knock on wood. We just have a test today, and we want to we make sure we, we're all testing negative so we can play, uh, play a big game on Saturday. Um, but it's been... It's been an interesting, uh, interesting experience. I'll be looking forward to it when we can train without masks on and, and do all those things. But that was, I think, one of the biggest um, difficulties for the players, yeah. because, yes, it's it's a collision sport, basically. But on top of that, it requires almost as much conditioning as soccer, so almost as much running. So, you know, we have to have masks on the entire time. So any conditioning we're doing, masks are on. You know, and you can imagine like that becomes almost suffocating at times when it's soaked with sweat and you're inhaling it and it's all these different things. And so you know, it sounds even just telling you about it sounds bad, but I, you know, actually doing it. And, the, and on occasion, I would run with, with the ladies as well, because I do believe in, in participating in the suffering, if you will. Um, you know, that's, that's one of the ways I like to lead. It's just like, I got to do it with you. And so just to get an idea of what they had to do. And I can tell you, it's uh, probably worse than it sounds. It was, it was definitely hard and difficult, but you know, one of the ways I've been trying to not sell it to the ladies, but make them hopefully make them realize that they are just that much more mentally tougher because of it. They had to fight through this thing every single day. They had to be dedicated. You know, we always had to tell them like, hey, I know you're college kids. You can't be college kids. That's basically, I know you want to socialize because that's what you do in college, but you can't. You just got to be really, really locked down, be really disciplined. And we haven't been perfect in that, but we've been pretty close, I would say, pretty close. Yeah, and you just brought it up with them having to be more responsible now. And that's where my respect goes to like, uh, of course, your players and all student athletes, just for ability to be like, as you said, adaptable. And because when you're going out in public, you're representing the team, not just yourself. And anywhere you go, you know, it could be one wrong COVID test and the whole, 
you know, season's shut down. So hats, hands down, hats out goes to your players. Yeah, yeah, definitely appreciate that. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm just, this sounds cheesy and it's not like I'm, but I'm being very, very um, uh, genuine and sincere. Like those ladies have been inspiration like every single day. Like just seeing them every single day show up, they're on time, they're early, they stay late, they work hard, they're constantly trying to get better. And then on top of that, we got to like put all these protocols and, and rules and regulations. And as you said, you know, they can't just go out and just be a normal student, especially as they're wearing the Siwoo gear. And even if they're not, like eventually if something goes wrong, I'm going to hear about it one way or another. And so, you know, they're, they have to be on point more than anybody because, yeah, people are watching and, you know, they will be held accountable one way or another. Yeah, Tommy and I were actually talking about that a little bit yesterday when we were kind of discussing a little bit what we wanted to talk about in this podcast. And we were talking about our experience as student athletes, not generally like in college, but like in high school and whatnot. And I remember the level of dedication and like leadership that I had to display and remember how determined I had to be on a daily basis and represent my team well. I can't even imagine like putting myself in that position because I um, in high school was a dancer, middle school, I did like basketball and softball. I can't even imagine going through what your players or just Siwu student athletes or athletes in general are going through at this moment. I find it very fascinating and incredible because I kind of want to know exactly or not exactly, but I want to know a little bit more about those mental health check-ins. Were there any patterns that you noticed in terms of your players and how did you go about dealing with maybe like if you notice a specific pattern, how did you deal with it? How did you adapt or whatnot? Sure. That's a great question. Um, so in the, in the course of my time here, I've tried to make mental health a, a priority. So we brought in the mental health uh, counselors from the SMAC and had them do, we've had wellness screenings, we've done coping mechanisms, things like that. Uh, and we brought them in again last spring when everything kind of shut down and we brought them again in the fall. Uh, and then we'll probably bring them again here in the spring, just to kind of, just a different voice. So it's not me, but also somebody who's more than qualified. Uh, you know, like I could talk about mental stuff, but like you know, I don't have a, I don't have a master's or PhD in psychology. So like, you know, I, I'm limited in that, in that scope. Um, but, you know, with those wellness check-ins, we also do weekly grade checks. So it's also a time we check in with, with players and, and, you know, once we get through the academics and stuff and it's like, Hey, how are you doing? Like, let's talk about that for a second. Um, you know, like the players generally speaking, will try and tell you what you, let me back that up. Generally speaking, the players try to tell you what they think you want to hear. Generally speaking, but you know, you, you, you're with them every day. You can see when things aren't right. So you can see like the way they care is their body language might be off. They might not be as talkative as they normally are. They might be getting more frustrated. They, or they, you know, super quiet, whatever. There's just these little trends you pick up on. And we certainly had that, you know, it's normal, especially when, when freshmen, especially some of them like that, that honeymoon period ends sometimes for some of them, like day one, some of it takes like a month or two, but then eventually it hits no matter what. They're going to be homesick. They're going to be missing their family, their friends, all those kind of things. And so when you compo- compound that with COVID, compound that with all the restrictions and protocols and things, it's, it, I can imagine it felt very, very uh, like insular, very closed in. Um, and I'm really, really grateful for the people we have on the squad, especially we have such a young team, half freshmen. And so we had to be really paying attention to them in that sense of like making sure they're okay. They have the support they need. Um, but they also just kind of bonded together. I think better than almost any other group uh, that we've had come through in the last few years. And, and again, it's like those difficult times really bind people together. And I think um, they've made the best of the situation they possibly could. Um, but, you know, there's still that anxiety pops up for some of them. Other people feel, again, that, that homesickness, uh, especially about internationals coming from, we have two from New Zealand this year uh, and another one from Ireland. And so, 
especially the two Kiwis, you know, they arrived here when it was uh, wildfire season. So it was like the apocalypse plus COVID. So they left their like beautiful country with no fires and no COVID to come into here. And it was like, you know, just a little bit of damage control, even just with them and, and just trying to work with them and not trying to tell them how to be, just let them know that like, hey, this is normal. It's okay to feel this way. Do you need, you need to talk to somebody professionally? And we're always very open with that. Like it's very transparent. Like we encourage them, go talk to somebody who's, who's beyond qualified. Uh, to work through those things and again we're never perfect in any of this stuff but i think we were at a pretty good place here the only thing now is at this late in the season with you know months and months and months of covid protocols is now just trying to make sure that we're not overdoing it so we're just trying to make sure that mental fatigue doesn't creep in so the mental fatigue is more is more of a concern than the physical fatigue we can manage the physical load it's the mental load that's harder to, to quantify yeah and so our prep meeting was my first time actually meeting you. Aureli has worked with you in the past on Nelson Mandela, but you actually witnessed Nelson Mandela in a speech when you were younger, correct? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've seen him in, in various various forms. Um, so, you know, what we're referring to earlier, so being born in South Africa um, and was, you know, I think I was about seven years old, I think during during the 95 World Cup, which that movie Invictus was made. And, yeah. and that kind of led me to, you know, kind of giving that talk earlier last year, two years ago on, on Nelson Mandela. And so, yeah, I mean, like even as a young kid, not only was it significant to win the World Cup and as a rugby fan, like it was just such a like every South African boy, I can pretty much tell you, like, we'll never forget if you were alive during that point, you'll, you'll never forget that day because of how significant it was. Like it just, you could feel the energy of the country was different. Obviously it was just following a, a new election, so new president. Um, and so there was a, there was a little bit of, one's apprehension, just people were nervous. They didn't know what was going to happen because of the significant change. Um, and, you know, somebody who'd been in prison for decades and, and really poorly treated, there were some people concerned, like what's going to happen when he, you know, it's just other African countries didn't follow that same uh, road, that same pathway. And so there were some concerns about that, but him coming out of, uh, out of Im imprisonment and doing his absolute best to try and unite the country, uh, when really didn't even have to, he didn't know anybody, anything really. Um, you know, even as a young person, you could tell that that was significant. And I, you can talk to pretty much anybody in South Africa. I don't care what their race, creed or religion is. And they'll tell you the exact same thing. Like, yeah, that was significant that there's without question, as far as leadership goes, like he did an incredible job. And like that's undeniable. Um, was he perfect? No, but nobody is. Um, but looking at that from a young age, seeing how it fit into rugby and seeing how sport can also transform people, it can transform cultures, countries, you know, communities, how that can be all wrapped and in, intertwined into one and seeing the greater importance of that. And then how you carry that forward and be a good ambassador, not for just for the game, but again, for your community, your country, your group, whatever it is. Um, so yeah, it was it was a profound, you know, profound moment. Um, and I'm really glad it was kind of crazy when they made that movie. And uh, you know, grateful they did. And I'm glad that people are still talking about uh, that moment itself. Yeah. And even with you in rugby, you've been coaching it and playing it your whole life. It has given you so many opportunities to travel. So you want to talk about some of those, uh, your travel experiences and how they kind of change your perspective as a leader, person, coach? Certainly. Yeah. So I've had a, a, a few opportunities to travel for rugby and it's been um, honestly a privilege. I love this game more than most things. Um, it's certainly taken a lot from me. Like I've got, you know, bad joints and things like that we'll leave it at that um but you know like i i would do it all over again in rb i just love this game so much and so um yeah as far as my travel opportunities there's been a few of them um i was lucky enough to represent the usa sevens team in fiji uh when i was a senior in college just picked for that so i went down there big international tournament um played in front of was down in fiji for two or three weeks i think and got absolutely sunburnt beyond belief um but 
you know, playing in a stadium with 30, 40,000 Fijians, um, just screaming and having a crazy time, you know, and there's a bunch of international teams in that, uh, it was such a wonderful experience. Um, unfortunately I was, I was supposed to go on to play other tournaments with the U S team, but ended up getting hurt. And then I was out for a little bit, uh, with surgery in that, um, came back to play, got to travel again, like, you know, to Canada and things like that. But then I was, I was coaching at that point and was lucky enough to go travel to Bermuda. I worked with um, local kids out there as well. Uh, even though Bermuda is known for having a bunch of money and things, they have a quite a bit, a bit of disparity. So they have uber wealthy and they've got like legitimate gang problems and stuff. So we work with everybody under the sun, all age groups are there, all the way up to the Bermuda national team, which was a, an awesome, awesome privilege. Um, in that time as well, from my playing days all the way through coaching, I've been lucky enough to travel to, I played in Australia as well, which was a great experience. I also got to play a little bit of rugby down in Argentina uh, when I was traveling through there. And again, the rugby crowd's a very welcoming group. Um, and so, you know, I was driving through Argentina and um, I had a loose contact in, in San Juan, Argentina. And they're like, hey, do you want to come out to training? And sure enough, like I'm at training and everybody wants a high five and a handshake and a hug. And, and then before I know it, I'm spending a week with them just hanging out. And so, um, you know, those are just a couple of the more memorable ones. But, you know, I've been really, really lucky to, to kind of get around the world a little bit with this game. Never enough. I always want to go more places, but yeah, it's been good. Yeah. And that's one thing that's great about rugby, kind of like soccer is kind of like a world game. Totally. So was there any like interesting things you saw, like seeing a different way a country, you know, coaches the, the game compared to how like, you were taught? Yeah. You know, uh, and it's, the same, it's the same with soccer. Like every country and even regions within that country have a different playing style. Yeah. And so rugby is very similar in that sense. So like South Africans are known for being just absolute bruisers. They love to just run into people and just mess them up. Um, New Zealand's got some of that, but they have a bit more skill. And so they're known for, you know, moving the ball really well. Australia's got usually really good fast backs with great skills. So they play slightly different styles. Um, I think Fiji was probably the, the one that probably had the most impact on me. I actually had two different trips to Fiji. Once when I was in Australia, I went over there. It's only like a three hour flight. So it's like, you know, it's like going to Mexico in a sense. It's just like quickly popped down there. Um, and so I ended up playing just rugby in the rivers uh, with local kids and seeing, you know, the impact that it had on them just because that's all they had. They, all they, they can't even afford boots. It's literally just like, you got a ball that sort of has air in it. Um, or it's like, a, it's a t-shirt wrapped up with tape or something. That's what they use. Um, and then going and coming again about two years later uh, for that big international tournament. And again, like, you know, nobody knew my name, but I was treated like a celebrity. They're like, hey, I saw you on TV, you know, because that's all they all are like, it's a rugby nation. So they go absolutely mad for it. And so just seeing just like, you know, the simplest little gesture or like just signing something for some kid and just seeing like how it impacts them. And they're just chasing you through the streets, waving at you. And they just, you know, that's all they have. That's all they have. And so we're so lucky to be able to, to travel these places with, you know, have all the gear we need and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then go to somewhere where they have like almost nothing and seeing what it can do for people again, like in a different sort of light, like this is the opportunity they have to get off the island to go make some money for their family. This is their culture. Like this is a huge comp component of their culture. Um, and it's against uniting force. You know, when Fiji plays rugby, the country shuts down. It's every channel's on Fiji rugby and everyone's texting and calling and, it's just, it's just, a, I don't know, it's kind of a beautiful thing, you know, when it all, everyone's kind of on the same mindset about like what they're trying to go and achieve. It's pretty cool. I really I don't know love that totally that. answered your question, but yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's really great. I love that you've had so many like different experiences and been able to meet so many different people. I'm kind of wondering, because you mentioned this a little bit before um, when you were talking about your players and how they all come from diverse backgrounds. They all, not one is the same. And then you're talking about right now, how you've been able to travel and been able to meet a, more people, have new experiences. I'm kind of wondering 
in terms of like whether it be your rugby career or your life experiences how has travel made you kind of more adaptable and how can you apply that for like in terms of leadership yeah great question um you know just as far as being very lucky to travel and obviously you work with a bunch of different people from a bunch of different areas uh, around the world and 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 backgrounds in that um you know the more you get exposed to the more you realize that we're all just the same like yes it, you also identify um cultural markers if you will and like identifiers and like cool so this is you know like for example polynesians right very family oriented um there's different expectations for the kids and say like more western societies things like that and so working with them like i the communication style is a little bit different the expectations are the same but how they're communicated, how you go about them, how you enforce them are a little bit different in, in, in some ways. And so being able to travel, interacting with more and more people, understanding again, those, those needs are basically the, the same, the hierarchy of needs are the same. We all, food, shelter, you know, love, uh, receiving and giving, all these things like once you just see somebody as a person, now we can, we can set away all the differences and now I just see you as, you know, as a person. And so understanding that as a leader, is really really important because then you also understand the cultural nuances and so again like the communication style will differ from from person to person not going to say sometimes i got to stop my feet no matter what who it is but you know for the most part again those little subtle nuances indicators those things like that where i have to try and navigate a little bit differently because the message might still be they might still get the message but it's not going to hit close enough home for some of them unless i take a different route and in order to understand what that route is i have to understand who the person is what culture they're coming from, either their demographic, because even they can be from one culture, but they grew up in a different part of the world. So now we're talking about something totally different, you know? And then when you're looking to try and connect with them, like, let's be honest, I'm a white male coaching a bunch of very, very diverse females. So I have to make sure that I'm cognizant of not only how I'm coming across, um, you know, the strengths and the flaws within myself, how I can be possibly perceived, but then how do I navigate that knowing that there may be some initial perceptions wrong or right it's just what it is and then how do i connect with that person and so you know you start layering all these different things um it kind of comes be complicated i'm not going to say i get it right all the time but being mindful enough to at least be aware of those things and then we can start trying to you know connect the dots and, and bridge the gaps a little bit and i think with the players when you just being brutally honest with them um and also acknowledging like acknowledging ignorance is a huge step just being humble uh, acknowledging you don't know everything again they're going to meet you halfway like they they see you as a person and that's i think a huge thing to to get across like yes i have to be confident in what i'm doing and saying but also being vulnerable too is going to help you know really let the let the guard down a little bit so now we can again see each other as people and then we can move forward once we've done that hopefully that answered your question Yeah, that totally did answer my question. And I'm just over here thinking, I'm trying to soak in everything that you're you're saying right now, because I'm just thinking of, because I'm an education major, I'm currently student teaching, and I totally understand, and this might just fly over certain people's heads, because I mean, education's my field, I love it. Um, that just ties into like the differentiated instruction, was, which is a very similar concept to what you're talking about, in terms of like, how can I apply the same expectations to every single student in my classroom, but some of them may have struggled, like they might struggle reading or some of them might just not be verbal. And so how can I allow them to meet these expectations while still being able to meet them at a level that they're comfortable with? Because all of the students or like players, humans, we all have the potential to meet the same expectations, 
like you're saying, we just have to take a different route. And I really appreciate that you acknowledge a lot of what you're saying. I really, I really never heard someone that looks like you or like has your, your level of authority, like really just state the facts and acknowledge, like whether it be privilege or authority or ignorance and just say, you know what, I don't know everything. And I just find it fascinating. I respect it. And I really wish a lot more, no matter who you are, what you look like, I really wish a lot more of us could understand and apply that level of thinking but that's just my two cents and I'm definitely (laughs) gonna be taking that into my classroom out there in the world I'm gonna say what I need to say and know that I don't know everything but I'm always willing to learn I feel like that is the biggest factor is not only just acknowledging your ignorance but always being that lifelong learner and be like you know what I don't know everything but you know what I'm also gonna go ahead and learn can you help me learn and if not, I'll go learn by myself because this is important to me. So I really appreciate you saying that. Yeah, no, I, I definitely appreciate the sentiment. And it's it's definitely uh, good to connect with like-minded people because, yeah, I mean, we have, we all have to acknowledge we don't know everything. And even if we think we know, you know, I even said it, it's in part of my philosophy, like you got to embrace challenges. And that includes your own thought process and your own perceptions. And if we're not doing that, I think you're just limiting yourself as a person. You're going to rub people the wrong way. And like, you know, I rub people the wrong way I don't know, probably pretty often, more often than I would probably even like to admit. But that's usually because they, sometimes you got to speak up. If you're always just quiet and you don't assert yourself, then how are you going to make any, how are you going to institute any surreal change? You know, and that comes down to some of my players as well, where I have to try and explain to them, you know, like, again, keeping them accountable. That's one of our core values, our accountability. And I have to be accountable. Like if, if you know, we lost a game, uh, we've lost one game so far this season. Hopefully that's the last, but we lost one game didn't wasn't it wasn't really close game well you could tell in the warm-ups it was game was lost already but that's that's on me that's on no one else than them like yeah they could have been more switched on yeah they should have made more tackles whatever but that's on me I didn't prepare my team so I have to acknowledge that I did not do my job well enough and so I have to go back to the drawing board and how do I change that and then we create that ownership within starts with the leadership and then it starts trickling down and then I got to find different ways to communicate the same message to different people and I'm with you 100%. I am with you 100%. I think that's great. I mean, the fact that you're going to education and you have that mindset, I think is a really, really good sign. Um, but yeah, I have to, as I said, I have to acknowledge my privilege as well. I mean, I'm, I'm privileged just to be able to travel. I mean, I had to put myself in some very dangerous situations to even travel, like work some crazy jobs just to do it. I'm privileged I even have the health to do it. I'm privileged that I didn't have to go home and take care of my parents instead of I got to spend my money traveling abroad and doing those things. And so there's privilege inherent, you know, even within that. Um, and as long as, as long as we can acknowledge that, I think it humanizes us a little bit. And then again, those, those people we lead will see us as just as human beings that are trying to make the best of it. Yeah. And I think it's also really important to acknowledge like failure and being okay with failing, because I feel like in general, a lot of like, even in the classroom that I'm in now, again, tying it back to student teaching, I have my students that are they just want everything to be right the first time around and then they get so frustrated with themselves and it's like okay like I understand you're frustrated but we need to take two steps back and realize that it's okay to fail that's literally how you learn in terms of failure like I think it's so important to highlight and start from a young age or just start right off the bat if you know someone that's scared of failure I say full on embrace failure that is something that I've been working on for the past couple years and it is most definitely changed my life. I'm still working on it. So if there's any Wildcats listening, definitely embrace failure. It is okay to fail. That is how you learn. That is how you grow. And ultimately, why stay the same? Just go ahead and grow and be the best version of yourself. Again, my two cents, take it or leave it. 
No, you're spot on. We talk about it all, all the time, you know, like losing. I My team knows I hate losing. I hate losing so much. And since I was a little kid, like I was a bad sport, you know, at times. But it's only because I knew how good winning felt. But I also know that in order to get to that point, you're going to have to fail. I mean, it's pretty, pretty staple, you know. And so even our losses with our team, we make sure we try and highlight the good things that happened. But also we learn way more from when we lose than when we win. We keep winning all the time. You don't, what are you learning? Like, yeah, I'm just, I'm amazing. I'm amazing. I win all the time. Like, well, and so then you lose all of a sudden, then it's just like the wheels come off the wagon where it's like, you know, you learn to lose and fail with grace and you just, now you start refining your craft and, and just sharpening that sword. And eventually you like, it just winning becomes a habit or being successful becomes a habit. Uh, you know, you still have to lose every once in a while, but then you're kind of like, I've done this before. Just another rodeo. Let's do it again. Yeah. And it gives you an opportunity to, you know, go back to the drawing board Yeah, and evaluate where you are, what have you done and how can you be better? So I think that's for me too, is like growing up in sports all my life, it was just like, what's the goal of this game is to win. And that was always not the case. You know, sometimes I'll go home being defeated, like, oh, this is the worst feeling in the world. But then come back Monday, come to practice, see what we did and kind of see how we can improve. So I really like how you said that. Yeah, for sure. And not to like keep going on here, because I don't know if you guys, I'm going to shoot your time, but um, you know, one aspect that we always try and harp on, like we have our outcomes that we're just, we're trying to achieve, you know, winning championships and doing all those kind of things. But if you don't break down and define the process that you're going to, you know, have to go through to achieve that, then, well, you're probably not going to get there firstly, because there's no roadmap to do it. Um, so like, what are your metrics? How are you going to measure, quantify my success to get to the outcome that, I, that I'm desiring? But sometimes even if you hit all your metrics that you're trying to achieve, you might still not have the outcome you, you initially wanted, but I can pretty much guarantee that you're going to be in some way, shape or form successful because you hit all these other things. And so you might not necessarily get the outcome you achieve. Like sometimes things just don't go your way, but you've done X, Y, and Z and you set yourself up for the next thing. And eventually you're going to be successful in that other avenue. You may have to pivot or evolve as we've talked about. Um, but that's why we, that we work, we work on this process all the time with our players because it's, it's really, really important as is, as you touched on really like admitting your failures and, and faults. I've done that every single year of my players. I like started the year, like, cool. This is where I failed at last year. Boom, 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 boom. You see some people's eyes are like, whoa, I didn't have a coach do this before. It's like, I have to, I have to be vulnerable. I have to show them that yes, I am human. I make mistakes and I will make more mistakes, but we got to own those mistakes. And it starts with people at the top. So would you want to, you know, kind of shout out your, your season? Cause I know you guys have a game coming up this weekend. It's probably going to be, this episode is probably going to be released after, but still the playoffs are coming up. Yeah. Yeah, so we have a semifinal match against Life University. Um, they've been a bit of a juggernaut in the last few years. Uh, we had a game against them two, three weeks ago, I believe, which we in Atlanta, which we managed to, to eke out a win there. Our first one in, I think, about five or six years against them. So it was a huge victory for our ladies. Um, so they'll be traveling all the way out here to Washington this Saturday to play at noon. Uh, unfortunately, no fans are allowed just due to COVID protocols. But um, yeah, we managed to manage to eke out a victory against them again, which I'm, I'm very confident that we we absolutely have the ability to do it. And I think we should do that. Uh, we hopefully will be uh, in the final national championships. Yeah, looking forward to it. Um, Trevor, I think you should just transition from rugby coach to life coach because all of this was amazing to listen <laughs> to. Yeah. And I really am going to just sit on these words for the rest of this month and just be like, you know what? Yep. What he said, because really, that was, it was a great conversation. I really appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. thank you so much. No, I, I definitely appreciate it. It's always, like I said, great to to communicate and, and chat with like minded people and, and people who are also going to challenge you and challenge me and, and to grow and, and rethink things a little bit. Um, even if it's, even if it's the same idea, just in a different way, 
I think that's that's excellent. I think we can always we can always benefit from those conversations. Yeah, and I know we did ask you to uh, prepare an advice piece. If if you did and you still want to share it, you you can. But I was just like I was so moved by what you said. I was like, oh wow, this is advice in itself. Any else in the text? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't want to like oversaturate this conversation, but uh, I do have a few pieces, and hopefully they'll land well and go with what we've been talking about. So there's a few things, and this is basically just. Uh, based on my own life experience, um, but also just what I've encountered. So the first one is just that you're on no one's timeline other than your own. So you're inherently going to get pressure from family, friends, society, whatever it is that you've got to, for example, graduate college by 22, then you got to get your career, and then you got to get the mortgage, and then you got to do all the things. And then by the time you're 29, everything's got to be done, whatever the timeline is, right? And so, you know, I've lived a relatively non-traditional life in some ways. Some of it's been traditional, other ways have been less traditional. I've uh, always been questioned by, you know, people close to me or far from me, um, just either, either not understanding it or maybe they are in support of it. Um, but just again, keep in mind that you are your own person and odds are you're going to live long because uh, modern, modern medicine is pretty great. And so, again, you've got like 80 years to, to kind of find your own path. So don't be in too much of a rush. Uh, the other thing is just stay curious and question everything. I believe that firmly, um, including your own self, your, yourself and your thought processes, things like that. That's how we grow and evolve. And also, again, make that change that we're seeking in whatever, whatever um, arena that is. And then the last thing is get off social media, please. Uh, uh, like social media is great in certain aspects. Don't get me wrong. Like there, it's a tool. And so tools can be used uh, in a good way. But I would say the net uh effect is more negative than positive so if anything just limit it just less less is more um you know use it to stay in touch with family and friends but i can promise you're gonna be more productive and less depressed i promise you if you cut back on your social media definitely take I that. Think that was my sign tommy to get off social media <laughs> <laughs> I say this, I say this only because I like, I cut it off like last January, I think January 2020, I, I, 2020, I was off social media, it's probably the best year to be off social media. But, um, you know, there's times I'm like, oh, maybe I should. And eventually I will. I'm not going to sit here and say like, I'm like, you know, perfect over here, but it has, it has helped. It absolutely has helped. It kind of helps reframe things. It helps you put things in perspective a little better rather than, you know, as we know, the, the, the ill effects of social media and, that FOMO or, you know, thinking, idealizing people or places and things like that. And um, yeah, use that time elsewhere, be more productive. All right, Trevor, once again, thank you for sharing your words of wisdom. We really appreciate you having you on this podcast. And thank you to the Wildcats joining us today. If you enjoyed today's episode and you want to hear more, you can listen to the podcast on Spotify, Apple, uh, Google Podcasts, and or YouTube at Word to the Wildcat. If you're interested in any other amazing programs that the CLC has to offer, please check out our website at cwu.presence.io and follow our social media pages. Maybe. <laughs> yes, maybe. And also, remember you can prepare towards earning your Wildcat Leadership Academy certificate by simply just listening to our podcast and doing a quick assessment. And you can learn more about that at the CLC website that I really just mentioned. In the meantime, please join again next time. I'm Tommy. And I'm Arely, and this has been Word to the Wildcats. 